I love Communion Sunday. And if you're visiting with us or have just started journeying with us, we always have communion. We always celebrate communion on the last Sunday of the month. So mark your calendar. Feel free to join us or join us for any Sunday for that matter. We'd love to have you here. And usually we have it at the end of the service. But, you know, sometimes when you do things the same way all the time, it becomes a little routine. And so we got together and we thought maybe having it earlier in the service, about mid-service, and having Jesse lead it would, would allow it to fall fresh on you, that, that the impact that communion is supposed to have would happen as, as we did it in a slightly different way. And I am always so strengthened and encouraged when we take the Lord's Supper together. If you think about it, folks, the Lord's Supper has been taken by Christians for 2,000 years. It's really a reenactment of what happened the night before Jesus was crucified at the Last Supper. He took the bread and he ate it, and he took the cup and he said, you know, this is my body broken for you. This is the, my blood spilled out for you. And whenever I take communion... It's one of the great moments in my relationship with my Father in heaven. I feel this this closeness, and, and I feel this surge of emotions. I feel wonder that Jesus would go to the cross and take the punishment of all the people that rebelled against him and his commands. I feel awe that he loved me enough to take my sin and my punishment upon himself. And then I feel amazement because if he was willing to do that for me, he must believe that there's something worthy in me and in you, something worthy for him to die for. And then, of course, I feel sorrow and deep regret that the perfect man, the perfect God, had to suffer for my rebellion and my sin. And that makes the question rise up in me, why would Jesus do that? Why why did this have to be done? Why did he have to die this horrible death on the cross? And the answer is, for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we continue in our study of the Apostles' Creed. So let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. And that just seems so inadequate, Father. Thank you that you came down in the person of your son, Jesus, and took our sin upon yourself. And because of that, you can forgive our sins. And Father, as, as we open your word today and begin to study this amazing truth, I, I'm so aware at this moment that my friends here, they don't need to hear from me, Father. They need to hear from you. So, Lord, please, would you speak and let me get out of the way so that your word and your truth can go forth and accomplish what you desire in the hearts and the lives of my friends here at Rock Hills. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a a series called Creed, and what we've been doing is we've been studying through the Apostles' Creed over the last six weeks. Now, you probably remember the reason that the Apostles' Creed came about, according to church tradition, it happened in the first century, shortly after Jesus' death. 
and, and the apostles got together, and they realized there was a couple things going on at this time in history. Number one, there were very few Bibles. The printing press had not been invented. They were extremely rare. And even if you had access to a Bible, very few people could read. And so they decided that it would be important to compile and summarize the most important truths of the Christian faith. This was a faith that was exploding around the world. How were people going to be able to stand on the foundation of truth? And so they compiled the Apostles' Creed. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been memorizing and reciting and studying the Apostles' Creed. And here at Rock Hills, we believe that all authority comes from this book we call the Bible. But the Apostles' Creed is simply a summary of the most profound and essential truths of our faith. And one of the reasons why it isn't recited quite as often anymore in America is most of us can read. Most of us have access to a Bible, so we don't need to to memorize this. We can be grounded on truth by reading the Bible ourselves. But like all great endeavors, the people who are good at any great endeavor always come back to fundamentals. Whether it's a sport, you know, football blacking and tackling, whether it's, whether it's music coming back to scales. People who want to excel in any endeavor understand that there are certain essentials, certain fundamentals. And so we decided here at Rock Hills to do a study of the Apostles' Creed to give us a reminder of the great and essential truths of our faith. And we've been doing that for the last six weeks. And today we're going to be talking about the forgiveness of sins. Now, we started six weeks ago with a, a message uh, called I Believe, and I, and I taught that six weeks ago. And by the way, if you've missed any of those messages, you can go to our website, rockhills.com. Each one is standalone. You, you don't, it, it isn't going to hurt you to have missed one as far as understanding everything that's going on. But I think it'll be a richer experience. And if you want to catch up, go to rockhills.com, and you can listen to those messages. And I talked, and I gave a sermon on I Believe, two words what we said at that time is those two words were worth an entire sermon because of the centrality of belief to the Christian faith. See, every other religion says that our standing with God, whether or not we are right with the God of the universe, depends on our conduct, on our behavior. If you're good enough, maybe you get to be with God. If not, you don't. And Christianity alone says no. You can never be good enough. God is perfect. His standard is perfection. We've all fallen short. We've all rebelled. And so Christianity alone says, to to quote the words of John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so that's the centrality of belief to our faith. And in that message, I had a couple of applications. And one of the applications I talked about was that there's, there's neuroscience that's coming out, that the more you affirm a truth, the more you recite it, the way we do the, the Apostles' Creed, the more you study it, the more likely it is to impact your behavior. And that's our hope here, that our behavior, our conduct, would be impacted by the great truths of God. And I gave at that time the most extraordinary example that I know of. And it was, had to do with Jim Elliott and four of his friends. You may remember the story. Five young men who had gone to Wheaton Bible College in, in Illinois feel called by God to become missionaries. 
And so they decide that God puts on their heart that they're going to share the gospel with a, tr- a remote tribe in the Amazon rainforest called the Akas. And the Aka Indians were the most hostile, the most violent tribe that anyone had ever encountered. And they felt called to go there. And so, so they landed in Ecuador, their families. But the five guys alone were going to fly in the first time to, to meet with the tribe and, and try to establish a relationship. And Nate Saint, who was the pilot, landed on a sandbar. But the night before, they had to make a decision. You see, they had guns just in case you know, a predator came out of the jungle. They could protect themselves from various predators. But what if the Aka tribe attacked them? What would they do? And the night before they went, those five men, standing on the beliefs of their faith, the essential truth of the Apostles' Creed said, you know what? If they die, they will be separated from God forever because they don't know Jesus. If we die, we will go to heaven to be with our Father. And perhaps, perhaps someday, another missionary can share the truth with this tribe and they too will be in heaven with us. And on that fateful day, January 8, 1956, they landed their plane and the Akas came out of the jungle and killed them all. An extraordinary example of these five men. They could have shot them. They had guns with them. They could have killed those Indians. And instead, they died because they believed the truths of their faith. And, And I told you back six weeks ago that there's another part of that story involving the wife of Nate Saint, the pilot who went in there, and his sister, who through a miraculous series of events about a year later had the opportunity to go back into the tribe and share the truth of the gospel. And the tribe was so blown away that they would forgive them for killing their husband and their brother, were so impacted by the truth of the gospel that virtually every Indian in that village accepted Jesus as their savior. But here's the question. Nate Saint had a son, Steve. And I think we actually have a picture of Steve. What about Steve? He lost his father at eight years old. One of our truths is the forgiveness of sins. Would Steve ever be able to forgive the man who killed his father? Well, you're going to hear at the end of this message. And today, I just have two points I want to cover. Uh, The first is, forgiveness of sins is unique to the Christian faith. And the second is, that God commands us to forgive others. So let's start with the first. Forgiveness of sins is unique to the Christian faith. There's any number of passages I could use to to demonstrate that this is uh, a central, essential truth of our faith. One of my favorite renditions of this is in Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, and it says this. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And it may sound strange to you that I say that forgiveness of sins is unique to the Christian faith. But I want to suggest that's because you've grown up in the United States. 
and almost 90% of the people in this country identify themselves as Christians. And so this is the culture we grew up in. This is the air that we breathe. We hear stuff from a young age, like maybe your mother said, oh, you know, God forgives you and I forgive you too. Or maybe you saw that cheesy bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Okay, somewhere along the line, you absorbed this truth that there is forgiveness of sins. And so it may sound strange to you that it's unique to the Christian faith, but it is. Many of you know I was an atheist for many years. In my mid-30s, I tried Buddhism. I studied Buddhism for about two years. I did Buddhist meditation, (laughs) not medication. Yeah, I would sometimes medicate while I was was, uh, meditating, but that's a different story. Um, And the point is this. I know Eastern religions really well. I've studied all of them. And there's two commonalities in virtually all the Eastern religions. They believe in karma, and they believe in reincarnation. And most of you know what karma is, right? That's the principle that what you sow into the world, what you sow into the universe, comes back to you. And so if you sow goodness, if you sow love, if you sow kindness and good deeds and generosity, then kindness and love and good deeds and generosity come back your way. But if you, if you sow evil and insult and hurt and greed, that inevitably comes back to you. Don't you see that that is a quid pro quo, that you get exactly what you put out. There's no forgiveness of sin. In fact, any evil that you do comes back and impacts you. So there's no forgiveness of sins in the Eastern religions. What they say is if you do more good than bad, you gradually move up through all your lifetimes of reincarnation and become enlightened and go to be with God. And Islam is the same way. They have the five pillars of Islam. You have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. You have to uh, fast during Ramadan. You, you have to pray five times a day, etc., etc. And what they say is, at the end of your life, since no one does it perfectly, Allah gets to decide whether you've done it well enough to be with him. And if you haven't, then you're separated from him forever. There's no forgiveness of sins. It's only does your good works outweigh your bad. And so this idea that forgiveness of sins is is unique to the Christian faith is absolutely true. And what we have to understand is those faiths really have an image of God from the Quran and other places of pure justice. They believe justice is the essential nature of the God of the universe. And so you get exactly what you deserve. Christianity believes something very different. Christianity, what what is revealed to us in the scripture here, is that God is infinitely just, but he's also infinitely loving. 1 John says, God is love. And so the God of the Bible, the God who has revealed himself to us through Jesus and the prophets, is able to merge These two very different characteristics, justice and love. And that is what makes Christianity different. And you see, this is really the heart of the gospel, the good news. Because if God was just justice, then we would get what we deserve. And since none of us are perfect, we deserve separation from God. But here's what the scripture tells us about God. Yes, he's infinitely just. And so he couldn't just turn his head, 
turn a blind eye to our rebellion and our sin. There had to be a payment. There had to be restitution. A debt was incurred. But God, in his love, decided, I will come down and pay that debt. Because he couldn't just forgive sins. That would be like a corrupt judge just turning his head and saying, oh, what you did, I forgive you. That isn't God's character. What he said is, no, there has to be payment. There has to be restitution for this rebellion. But I will make that payment. And so at the cross, his perfect love from God to us and his perfect justice intersect at the cross. And at the cross, he paid that debt for us. And he offers that as a gift to us. I have paid your debt for you. Will you not accept this gift? Folks, if you've never done that, why not today? He's being just. The payment has been made, but he's being loving and he's offering you the gift. And if you decide to accept that gift, then you will become a children, child of God. And then like all other children of God, you are going to encounter a difficult command. And that command is that God commands us to forgive others. I think we have it here, second point. And this is, again, many places in the scripture. One place is Ephesians 4.32, and this is what, what the scripture says. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, this is, again, seems really natural to you. It's like, well, of course, you know, you forgive sins. Again, this is something we've grown up with. It's part of our Christian culture. You've probably had a teacher, you know, after somebody's wronged you and the person comes up to you and says... Oh, I'm sorry. The teacher says, okay. They said, they're sorry. Now forgive them. Or maybe your mother with a, with a brother or a sister. So this is something that, this is the culture we've grown up in. It's the air that we breathe. This, this seems so natural to us. But there's a reason why it's so natural to us. Besides the fact that we grew up in a Christian country, in this country, we have the most amazing justice system that's ever been on the face of the earth. We have the most incredible police force that's ever been on the face of the earth. So what happens if somebody comes and hurts someone in my family or steals some of my property, what do I do? I pick up the phone and I call the police. But that hasn't been what's happened throughout human history. Through all human history, there has never been a judicial system like the American system. Throughout human history, people were left on their own. There was nobody to call, and that's the way it is for most of the world, even today. And so what happens? If somebody comes and harms you, you get your family and your friends, and you go and you take revenge. If somebody comes and steals your property, you get your friends and your family, and you take it back. And there is a great danger if you do not do that. If you don't do that, then you're seen as weak. You're seen as vulnerable. And other people will come hurt you. And other people will come take your property. 
And your survival is at stake in showing strength. And so this principle, which seems so natural to us in other parts of the world, it's shocking. It seems ridiculous. It's like, that isn't a good rule. That isn't a good truth. Because that leaves us too vulnerable. But it is the essential truth of the Christian faith. We are to forgive others. Now, this is where I I want to try to be sensitive. Because I I understand, you know, there's hurts in here that, you know, kind of, sort of everyday hurts, for lack of a better word. You know, you, you're at work and somebody, you know, talks behind your back or, you know, somebody you know, insults you. Somehow, you know, here at Rock Hill, somebody lets you down or offends you, something along those lines. And, and you can sort of see yourself forgiving those hurts. And by the way, it's interesting. Last week, Adam taught on the Holy Universal Church, the Communion of Saints. This is where the Apostles' Creed takes a little bit of a turn. We've gone from the characteristics of God, and then we talk about the church and the Communion of Saints, because here's the truth. The Bible says there are no solo Christians. There are no lone rangers in the Christian world. The Bible commands us to do life together. And I know something about each and every person in this room, including me. And that is we have sin inside of us. That means that there are going to be times when we're selfish. There are going to be times when we let one another down. Let me say it this way. If you journey with the people of Rock Hills long enough, someone is going to let you down, including me. And I hate that. I don't ever want to do that. I love the people of Rock Hills. But I'm human. I have sin inside of me. The only question is, what are you going to do when somebody offends you, when somebody lets you down? Are you just going to walk away and go to another church? You could do that, but guess what? There's sinful people there too. They're going to let you down. And what the Bible says is it's time to forgive sins. And as I said, I think most of us can sort of say, yeah, you know, those kind of everyday hurts, I, I can do that. But I know there are, there are deeper wounds here. I've been a Christian for about 25 years, and our, our last church, Jan and I, several times walked with people through very, very difficult, painful situations. There was one young lady I remember who had been abused by her mother's brother, by her uncle. And it was obviously very traumatic. And finally, she got a little older, and she got up the courage to go to her mother and tell her, And her mother didn't believe her. She said she was lying, that her brother would never do such a thing. You can imagine the hurt and the betrayal that young lady felt and how deep that wound was. And she felt like she could never forgive her mom and her uncle. But she was able to as she walked in the truths of our faith. And and I'm going to encourage you at the end of this service just to Spoiler alert, to see if you might have someone in your heart, someone who has wounded you, that today might be the day you finally forgive them. 
and I want to say this very sensibly, no one's forcing you to do that. If you're not ready, I understand there will come a time and a place when you'll be ready. But why not pray to see if maybe today would be that day? And there's a couple things, a couple questions that I've been asked that I want to address by people who are trying to, trying to let go of and forgive deep hurts. And, and the, well, the first point I want to make is God instructs us, God commands us for your sake. I hope you understand that. It's because God loves you. You see, there's a lot of research, probably a, many of you have started to read research about unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and keeping that inside. It's very destructive, not only physically, but spiritually, to your spiritual health. And so physically, by keeping bitterness and anger pent up inside, your immune system gets damaged, and you're sicker than more people, most people, and you begin to have health issues. And if you keep anger and bitterness and unforgiveness inside, it becomes almost impossible to have a healthy, loving relationship with another person because you're emotionally damaged. And so when God says, forgive one another, he's saying that, for your own good. And, and you have to remember what he's really done is he has forgiven you. He says, forgive as I have forgiven you. And it's really a matter of stewardship or management. God has given you this incredible gift. He's forgiven everything you've ever done. And now he's saying, won't you take some of that forgiveness I've given you and extend it to someone else? And like I said, sometimes people question, they'll, they'll say to me, well, Al, I don't feel like I have the strength to go talk to that person even. And you don't have to. Forgiveness is between you and God. You don't have to tell the person you've forgiven them. In fact, many times they don't even want to hear it. But forgiveness, the Bible says, is letting go of all anger, bitterness, and rage so you can be healthy again. And you can do that in the quietness of your own heart and spirit with God himself. So that's the first thing. I hope you can put that to rest. I mean, if you feel led to go talk to that person, that's fine too, but you don't have to. The second thing I've heard and the question I get is, well, Al, honestly, I want that person to suffer the consequences of what they did. I don't want to basically pardon them. And, and the Bible never says anything about the person being let out of the consequences of their wound, wounding you. God is perfectly and infinitely just, and he's infinitely wise. He knows exactly the consequences that every person should have for the wrongs that they inflict on other people. And you going to God and saying, Lord, I'm ready to let this go. I'm ready to forgive that person. That doesn't mean God's going to say, okay, then I have to not let him off the consequences. That, it does, they're not related at all. God will continue to give the consequences, the discipline to that person that he believes is appropriate. So you're not letting them off by forgiving them. So that's the second thing. And, and the final thing I want you to understand, and, and I've heard this a lot, is, well, I don't know, don't know why I, I should even do this because I, I'm, I know I'm still going to feel that anger and hurt. And I understand that. You know, many of you know that I had a very difficult relationship with my father. He wounded me quite deeply and in a few different ways. But after I became a Christian, I finally realized it was time to let that go. And so I had Jan help me and actually wrote a letter that I tore up and did some other things and went through kind of a, a little process and, and went to God and said, I forgive my father. 
And I felt a little bit better, but, I mean, it was a wonderful experience of, of going through that process. But about a week later, that anger and frustration flared up inside of me again. And I just had to turn to God and say, Lord, you know I've made the decision to forgive him. Now you are going to have to make this emotion start to go away, start to fade away. And that's exactly what happened. Whenever that anger and frustration toward my dad, the hurt, would well up inside me, I'd pray to God and say, Lord, I've forgiven him. Please take this hurt and pain away. And over the course of a couple years, it did go. Now, some people feel just freedom right away. But for me, it was sort of like the aftershocks of an earthquake. It it would get, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd feel this tremendous hurt and pain. Then I'd forgive him or let it go again. And over time, it began to dissipate quite a bit. And to this day, to, t- till today, I really have no more anger and frustration. It's been a lot of years. But that was a big step in, in asking God to forgive or giving my father forgiveness. Now, as I said, I know this is a difficult moment for some of you. And what I'm going to do now is show you the video of Steve Saint and Min Kai. And maybe this will encourage you that God can actually use your decision to forgive somebody for his glory and for your health. Let's watch the video now. My dad was killed when I was just a little boy, and it was uh, with four of his friends, and it it was a really violent um, killing. And people ask me all the time, you know, how I could forgive the people that killed my dad, including grandfather Minkai, who I think was the one who finally did kill my dad. You know, I'm sure that they don't understand the perspective from which I saw it all. My dad and his four friends, Roger, Pete, Ed, and Jim, knew that they were risking their lives to try to contact this violent group that had never had friendly contact with the outside world. And then when it came right down to them being attacked, They had guns and they could have defended themselves, but they preferred to die rather than kill, even in self-defense. My aunt was living with a young girl from the Waurani tribe who had fled. My mom went on praying for the Waurani, and then Aunt Rachel went back in to live with these people for the very first time as outsiders. And my my aunt knew that there was a risk and I knew that there's a risk that she would be killed too. Well, by the time a year, year and a half later when I got to go in and live with Aunt Rachel with these people who'd killed my dad, that isn't the way I saw them at all. I saw them as being the most special people in the whole world. I mean, why else would my dad have been willing to die for them, my mom go on praying for them, and my aunt risk her life for them? People think it's so amazing that I would forgive Minkai, but you know, in their culture, because he killed my family, it was my right and my responsibility when I grew up to kill him or his family. But when I went in to live in the jungles, I was just, oh, eight or nine, and I didn't have any of the skills that I needed to live in the jungles. And Minkai, I went to my Aunt Rachel, and he, he said, what's wrong with with Steve, they call me Baba down there. What's wrong with Baba? He doesn't know how to make poison for his darts, how to, how, he, does, he can't make darts, he doesn't know how to use the blowgun, he can't track animals. He said, he doesn't know anything. He said, who's gonna teach him how to live? 
And my aunt said, you having speared his father, who do you say should teach him to live? And he came back and he said, me having speared his father, now I say I myself will teach him to live. But you know, in doing that, because he had started walking a new trail, he had no idea, I was just a little boy, he had no idea whether I was going to walk God's trail or whether I would use the skills that he was teaching me to come back and kill him. But he forgave me what he assumed I would grow up to do because he had begun walking this new trail. So really, if you look at it in the reality in which it took place, the forgiveness that he was willing to believe that I had given up my vendetta against him and then gave me the skills that I would need to carry it out if I didn't give it up, his was maybe the greater forgiveness than mine. When I was a teenager, my sister decided that she wanted to be baptized. And my mom said, since you don't have a father of your own who's living, why don't you choose somebody who's had a positive spiritual impact in your life, and I'll ask him to baptize you. Well, Kathy immediately chose chemo, one of the men who had killed my dad and Roger and Pete and Ed and Jim. And I thought, you know, look at these men here, chemo and Dewey and Minkai. They're the same men who were here at this very place and killed my dad. And now here they are, they're spiritual leaders in our lives. And uh, I realized if we let God write the story, he doesn't always promise that all the chapters will be easy, but he does promise that in the last chapter, he will make sense of all the other things that have happened in our life, even though some of them are terribly painful. And I'm very, very thankful that he has. We have become, as grandfather says, we have become like just one family because we all have the same father. Now what we're going to do here in just a minute is I'm going to say a prayer that you might be able to, to let go of your anger and forgive someone who's hurt you. And, and maybe it's just someone that every time you think of me, you just go, <clears throat> I have people like that, and I just need to forgive them. But maybe it's a much deeper hurt. And as I said, you know, I'll say a prayer, then I'll just give you a moment or two in the quietness of your own spirit as Jesse plays a little music up here. And then we'll have a song. And then there's going to be prayer partners available. And if... If you want to, you know, consider maybe coming up and asking them to give you the strength to forgive. Ask them to pray with you for the forgiveness of the person. Just ask them to help you if, if you want to do that. Ask them for prayer uh, and get in, giving, the, giving you the strength to forgive the person. So let me say a word of prayer. Father, this is a holy moment a sacred moment, and, and we need the Holy Spirit here, Father. There are people here, and, and probably including me, who need to give, just, just give up on holding a grudge to forgive the person who inflicted that deep wound. So, Father, bring the Holy Spirit and help us to forgive others as you forgave us.